When it comes to sentencing in our courts, many people may perceive the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Public attitudes to sentencing was linked to misperceptions and incorrect knowledge and people tend to believe sentences are more lenient than they actually are. Decisions that appear unfair frequently set social media alight and sometimes the outrage might reference one particular judge. Judge Martin Nolan suspended Josh Conlon's sentence on condition that he be of good behaviour, that he remain under the supervision of the probation service. For International years. research points to a lack of knowledge among the public about how sentencing works and what its function is. We can't lock up everyone for every offence that there is. We also have to recognise that prison is only one response to an offence. I'm Aideen Finnegan and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, I ask Senior Counsel Tony McGillicuddy and the Irish Times' Mary Carolyn to demystify our sentencing laws. Mary Carolyn, legal affairs correspondent with the Irish Times, you wrote a piece on sentencing in Ireland and Judge Martin Nolan this week. And people might recognise that name because some of the sentences he's passed have attracted controversy with some claiming they're overly punitive, others protest they're too lenient. And I suppose I have to stress as well that that criticism probably comes from the general public. From what I understand, Judge Nolan appears very widely respected by his peers in the legal profession and, and journalists as well. But can you explain who he is in the the context of the legal system? Like, what kind of cases does he handle? Well, Judge Nolan runs the the very busy Dublin Circuit Criminal Court. That's based in the Courts of Criminal Justice there in Parkgate Street on Dublin's Quays. And Circuit Criminal Courts deal with criminal offences. They rank above the kind of very minor matters dealt with by the district court but below the most serious criminal offences such as rape and, mur- and murder that go before the central criminal court and terrorist offences that go before the special criminal court and most of the prosecutions in the circuit criminal court are brought by the DPP but some are taken by the revenue commissioners and the health and safety authority and much of Judge Nolan's day-to-day work involves sentencing people who pleaded guilty to a wide range of offences including burglary certain types of assault, including sexual assault, money laundering, drug offences and possession of child pornography. Uh, On an average day, he could deal with dozens of arraignments of people and maybe eight sentences for various offences. He has also presided over some very high profile trials, including of some former executives of Anglo-Irish Bank. So you mentioned some cases there like uh, child abuse images. Those things prompt a very strong emotional reaction from people. And I suppose the one, the most recent one that has caught people's attention is the case of 19-year-old Josh Conlon of Meath Place, Thomas Street, Dublin 8. And he was given a fully suspended sentence for his role in a two-hour attack during which a woman was tied up, assaulted and then scalded with boiling water. So I suppose that's the headline that caught everyone's attention. But you might explain the rationale given for that non-custodial sentence. Yes, well, that controversy arose over an assault by a number of men on a woman and her partner at an address in Dublin 8 during which the woman was hit with sticks and had boiling water poured over her hand by 29-year-old Paul Clark with an address at Clonard Road, Crumlin in Dublin. The 19-year-old was ordered by the drug dealer Paul Clark to boil the kettle in the apartment after €7,000 worth of drugs went missing from it. Clark, who's now serving four years and three months in prison, 
then poured boiling water over the woman. And Judge Nolan described Clark as the prime mover of the attack and he jailed him for three years and three months. Uh, Josh Conlon had just turned 18 at the time of the incident and he pleaded guilty at an early stage to assault causing harm to the woman. Judge Martin Nolan said he was very young, has no previous convictions and he didn't think the teenager expected Paul Clark to scold the woman. He sentenced him to and that led to his conclusion to fully suspend the sentence. Mm. Some of the other cases that, you know, get a very strong emotional reaction are, you know, centred around child abuse images. And, and one that Judge Nolan uh, presided over the sentencing was of Martin Gearan, who was of Port Marnock Drive, Port Marnock County, Dublin. And he had pleaded guilty to knowingly possessing 901 images and 146 video files of child pornography. He escaped jail, essentially. Yes, uh, this is, that suspension was certainly controversial. Uh, Judge Nolan was told that Gardy had received information from Interpol regarding the viewing of child pornography and they were able to trace it to Guerin's home via an IP address. And Guerin wasn't there when Gardy searched it and they seized some devices. Uh, but he went to Swords Garda Station that evening where he, where he told Gardy they would discover child pornography on the, defense, on the devices and he took responsibility for d- downloading it. Now, most of the videos show girls aged between two years and under 15 engaged in sexual activity. And the images included around 370 images of girls and boys engaged in sexual activity, around 520 images of children with their genitals exposed and two images of cartoon pornography. The judge was told there was no suggestion of distribution of the images, no suggestion of payment for the material and no suggestion of contact with the children in the images. He was given a psychological assessment of Guerin, which detailed that he had attended individual therapy for 18 months beginning in 2014 and followed that on by attending group therapy, which he was still attending at the time of the sentence. Uh, Guerin's barrister told the judge that uh, Guerin had attained significant insight into his offending and feels shame and remorse. Um, The barrister said that the psychological report recommended that he continue attending group therapy for another 12 months and he identified him as being at a lower risk of reoffending. The judge was also told that Guerin had left the family home and lost his marriage as a result of these matters and that he had been very involved with a local sporting club, but he had essentially been publicly shamed and ostracised. And the barrister argued that the case fell below the custodial threshold, even without accounting for delay in dealing with it, which meant Guerin had what the barrister described as a shadow hanging over him for the last five years. So the judge concluded on a non-custodial sentence for reasons, including his finding there were no aggravating factors such as previous convictions. He said the mitigating factors were Guerin's guilty plea, his cooperation with Gardee, his immediate admissions, his good work history and his lack of previous convictions. And he described Guerin as a well-known man who'd been shamed by the situation and noted it had caused uh, the breakdown of his marriage. The judge said that unfortunately for society and the court, cases like Guerin's come before the court with some frequency. And he referred to the psychological report, which considered it was unlikely Guerin would reoffend. And having con- considered and balanced all those matters, he concluded it seemed unjust to imprison him. And he imposed a two and a half year uh, sentence uh, of imprisonment, but he suspended all of that on condition that Guerin keep the peace and be of good behaviour for that period.
that's a very difficult one. But the, the other one I wanted to, to, to raise was probably the one that people most associate with Martin Nolan, and that is the one of the so-called garlic man. Uh, Paul Begley of Begley Brothers Limited in Blanchardstown was jailed for six years for his role in a tax evasion scam. The scam involved having containers of garlic imported from China labelled as apples to avoid paying the exceptionally high duty on garlic. Now, that sentence was very controversial at the time, but it was reduced on appeal, wasn't it? Yes, that was controversial in some quarters for what some people regarded as excessive. Uh, uh, Others didn't. Uh, I suppose it depends on people's views in relation to how white-coloured crime uh, and fraud offences should be treated. But many lawyers would say that attempting to... Some people kind of contrasted it with lesser sentences imposed on on people for, say, violent assaults or sexual assaults. But many lawyers would say that attempting to make such contrasts amounts to comparing apples with oranges, that each case, uh, or garlic in this case, that each (laughs) case turns on its own facts and sentencing parameters and that each individual offender is different. In Mr. Begley's case, his case was he did appeal the sentence and it was reduced by the Court of Appeal to two years. Um, however, the anecdotal evidence uh, is, from lawyers is that Judge Nolan is rarely appealed, whether by the DPP or convicted persons, and that when he is appealed, those are rarely successful. Yeah, and that's the, that's the thing with crude comparisons, like the couple of cases I've mentioned there. That's just to give a cross-section of, of, of what has attracted controversy before. But... Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not comparing them myself, but you know, I wasn't suggesting that, Aideen. But uh, there's a lot of comparing and contrasting of very different scenarios on social media. Of course, but I suppose what people, you know, in the instance of of child abuse images, you know, people might feel that's an automatic jail time there. You've got to go and rehabilitate in jail and and keep. You'll be away from a computer. You'll be you'll be kept away from causing any more damage to society and I think yes that's well that is certainly a very strong view and then there are other views that prison really doesn't contribute much in terms of rehabilitation um Mm. so but it completely depends uh on people's perspectives yeah and of course for some people like no punishment would be punishment enough you know in, in certain cases but we don't have a database to show whether or not sentences like the ones we've talked about are, are unusual or departure from what other judges are doing. So why don't we have, you know, a publicly available database where we can we can check these things? Well, there was uh, what was called the Irish Sentencing Information System, rather unfortunately known as ISIS, some years ago. And it had started collecting data from judges in terms of sentencing. But when the financial crash came, it was decided not to continue funding it. So everything has been very haphazard since. Uh, And much of the difficulty about collecting sentencing data relates to the court's lack of a modern IT system. Uh, it's it's a very outdated system and also because of the pressures on judges um, having sat through Martin Nolan's list a, a number of times to actually sit down after each one and to collate all the reasons for uh, why he had imposed particular sentences. I assume the judge or a register or somebody would have to do that themselves. It would add considerably to the workload. So, But something will have to be worked out because it is, it is very important and many people recognise this to have the sentencing data. I mean, of course, everyone 
should read beyond the headline and actually read the, uh, the the full report. But it's not always possible to inform yourself about a complex system like sentencing. Well, what's happening at the moment, there are attempts to devise a sentencing database. Uh, the Judicial Council Act of 2019 requires the introduction of a database and there's a sentencing guidelines and information committee of that council, and it's trying to progress the matter. It recently uh, commissioned a high-level report. It, the report said that good guidelines depend on good data, and it has urged that an adequate sentencing information system be devised and urgently put in place. And interestingly, that report noted that recent international research concerning public attitudes in other countries to sentencing was linked to misperceptions and incorrect knowledge or a lack of knowledge in terms of uh, the the actual offence and the sentencing parameters for that offence. And people tend to believe sentences are more lenient than they actually are. Yeah, it's a very fine line to walk, isn't it, Mary? Because you you should have sort of somebody who's an expert uh, looking at these things like judges or like, you know, the Law Reform Commission. But it is sort of paternalistic to say, oh, well, you know, people just don't understand. Yes, and I'm very conscious of that. But I'm and uh, I hope I I don't sound paternalistic. I, I know lawyers, you can get terribly insulated in in the legal world. But uh, having been a court reporter for about 30 years, I'm very conscious that uh, even the best court reporters can communicate everything that is said in court. And crucially, they can't get across what the judge sees of the offender and their perception of the offender and the behaviour and response in court. The judge will have extensive victim impact and psychological reports before them. So I'm very conscious of that. What we're reading is only a fraction of what is before the court. Judges have a very fine line to tread and uh, they're called for judges for a reason, I suppose. Mary Carolyn, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Aideen. Coming up, criminal law barrister Tony McGillicuddy explains how sentencing is an act of justice, not vengeance. Tony McGillicuddy, Senior Counsel, you contributed to Mary Carolyn's article the other day and it began, people tend to imagine sentencing is more lenient than it actually is. Is that in your life outside the courts? Do you come across that perception yourself? Yes, I I suppose it does arise. Certain sentences are reported and, you know, the perception versus the reality of what happens in the courts are two different things. Um, if there are sentence hearings taking place in Dublin, in Tralee, in Limerick and in Cork on a given day, those that reach national attention are probably very few. They're either the cases that are extremely sad and tragic or they are the cases in which a judge is perceived to have done something unusual It may not be unusual for those of us working in the courts. You know, I think we do have to acknowledge it's easy for me as a lawyer to say that. Um, There will be people listening to this podcast who have been victims of crime themselves uh, or people who are contemplating uh, reporting a crime. And it's important to be understanding of the perceptions that 
different people can have and, and I'm conscious of that. Lawyers, while we have a, a particular perspective, I don't think we've been good enough at actually just explaining the principles. Uh, the public may still have their own view one way or the other on them, uh, but at least if they understand the process and how judges are trying to come to a result um, and what principles they have to apply, they, if there's a better understanding, well, then they can uh, critique it if they wish, but at least they would do so in an in, in an informed manner. You mentioned there the sentencing principles. What are they? What do they boil down to? It's hard to kind of summarise it all in, you know, one or two minutes, but I suppose there's a couple of key things. The first thing they have to look at is what is the maximum penalty. Sometimes uh, the public might say, oh, that sentence seems low, but the judge has to operate within what the law is. So if the penalty for an offence is, if the maximum penalty is five years imprisonment, they have to look at that. That's their starting point. Then there's a a two-stage approach after that. They have to look at the circumstances in which the offence was committed and set what is known as a headline offence. So they look at the manner in which it was committed. If it's an assault offence, if there's a level of violence, what was that like? Was there a weapon used? Was it a number of kicks? Uh, Was it uh, a punch? Was it a single punch? Was it a number of things? Uh, Was it instigated by the accused person? Things like that. They will look at those matters and they'll also look at the, the culpability. Is the person the primary person involved or did they play a lesser role? And and the law says that you distinguish between those types of roles. So you look at culpability, role and the level of the offence itself, how far a person went. So in a robbery case, you know, there's a difference between someone threatening someone with uh, the use of a weapon or actually uh, using the weapon, hitting, you know, the, 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 the shopkeeper with something. Um, and they will look at those factors. So they'll set then what they say is what they think is the headline offence and the headline sentence that applies to it. The second stage then is they will look then at the mitigating factors that are there in a case. Things like a guilty plea, Uh, an expression of remorse, if that expression of remorse is genuine. And thirdly, they look at the other factors, the circumstances that surround an accused person and what affected them uh, at the time. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction, other addictions, they're not, you know, they don't excuse behaviour, they don't excuse criminal acts. They are things that a judge will take into account as as a factor that that led a person into conducting criminal activities. So they, having looked at those mitigating factors, then they'll say, what reduction should I make in the headline sentence to recognise those? And maybe that's where people, um, Tony, become misaligned. I know the quote that you gave Mary was an act of justice means a judge has to look at both sides of the facts and come to a, a decision that will not necessarily satisfy either the accused or the victim, but which is the just and proper result for society. And maybe that's where the difficulty arises, because, for instance, people might feel that society is better off if a person with child abuse images is given a custodial sentence. And I suppose that disconnect with how the public 
public feels society is, is better off versus what a judge can do in the parameters he or she has, that's where things start to become controversial, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. I mean, the, the, the reality of that sentencing is a, a difficult process. It's difficult for judges you know, I, you see that when they hear the facts of these cases and you can see on their faces as they're listening to it that they are weighing up the different factors. Um, that disconnect is there because um, sentencing is not a kind of an exercise in kind of uh, populism is the wrong word, but it's not, a, a, it's not a, a thing that is going to be popular. Judges have to do things that are unpopular. That's actually why we have them because we want them to be independent and not subject to forces of uh, being having to run for election, and that they're also able to say, look, I can do something that's independent. But they don't do that at large. They do it within sentencing principles. There are kind of three objectives in sentencing, which is, you know, punishing the offender, um, that sentencing should act as a deterrent, that's a deterrent both to the person who committed the offence and a more general deterrent to society at large that offences cannot be allowed to uh, happen and that the public must know that there is punishment for them. And thirdly, rehabilitation. And those three objectives, a judge in a particular case may say that two of those objectives outweigh the third. You know, So in some instances, a person could have very strong mitigation. They may have never committed a serious offence before. Uh, they may have good testimonials showing things from their life, that they have done good acts for society, they have a working history. Uh, but a judge may uh, say that, look, the, the, what you did was of a nature that it requires a custodial sentence that even though you yourself uh, have done other good things in your life, in this particular instance, there must be a signal sent out to society that this behaviour cannot be allowed to happen and that it will be punished. In other instances, a judge will say, well, look, in this instance, I have to do something to try and see if we can help rehabilitation, if it's related to drug addiction. So they may impose a sentence of three years imprisonment, but suspend some of that and place the person on probation service supervision when they come out. You know, an act of justice does mean that, uh, in my view, it doesn't mean that we're imposing sentences that satisfy one side or the other. And I I do think that public discourse on this now is that if, you know, if, if a victim is not satisfied with, with the sentence, that that means the sentence is wrong. Uh, that That is a miscalculation, in my view, and the final point on that is that judges are human. They, they do make mistakes. But if they make mistakes, the system actually has a process for review. So the accused person, if they are unhappy with the sentence, they can instruct their legal team to bring an appeal against the severity of that sentence. And that will be heard by the Court of Appeal. If the Director of Public Prosecutions, if her office is unhappy with it, they can also appeal. Do you think maybe people are out of step with what the point of the justice system is? Or perhaps, you know, I think you said that sentencing is an act of justice, not vengeance. And maybe a lot of people perceive it as this is a chance to deprive somebody of their liberty when they uh, infringe the rights of somebody else. 
I think I think there is. I, I mean, I think it's more basic than that. If it is an offence where someone has been assaulted, uh, a more straightforward assault, or if it's sexual assault or rape, uh, or if it's possession of child pornography materials, there can be a, a, a reaction by the public that a person should be jailed and the key should be thrown away. That That is a human reaction, and I think we should recognise that that's a very human reaction. A person did something terrible, they should be locked up immediately to keep society safe. From my point of view and from my work over the years, people are generally very strict about offences and, oh, people should be convicted and they should be put in prison until one of their own relatives is in court and charged with something. And it's amazing when it comes to their door that people are going, well, you know, the judge should give me a chance or should give my brother a chance or my sister or my husband. Accused persons are an unpopular segment of society. If they're convicted of an offence, yes, they, they, there has to be a thing that they may be punished in some way for that. But we have to have a look at whether that person deserves an opportunity to repay their debt in society or whether... In this instance, they should be sentenced on it. We don't have a debate, not much in this country, about what sentencing does it, what it achieves. You know, our our rates of recidivism when people come out of prison, in my view, are very high. They're they're about 60% people who commit offences, especially younger men when they come out of prison. A lot of them are back in prison within three years. They're back in the justice system or they're back in prison within three years we aren't really looking, I think, at, you know, either diversion programs, but also even if people come into contact with the justice system, what we're doing to ensure that they don't come back into the justice system. Now, I recognise, and it, it's my own personal view, look, it has to start from the person themselves, but also, they, you know, if, what assistance is there to help them. We rely a lot in this country on charities who run drug addiction programs without services run by the likes of Father McVerry uh, there are countless young men who would have no services available to them and um, that's another side of the equation it's not popular to say that and if a judge picks a sentence that judge that she's doing it for the right reasons that it's to achieve something for punishment for deterrence and or rehabilitation um, but that it's not there as just some kind of act of vengeance. That That's the critical difference. Tony McGillicuddy, thank you very much for joining us. That's it for today. For full access to Irish Times journalism, including all the latest breaking news from the courts, subscribe. Go to irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. This episode was produced by myself, Aideen Finnegan. In the News will be back on Monday. Have a great weekend.